look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More Than Money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. We're going to continue our divorce, uh, our series on divorce, Faisal, and talk a little bit about uh, uh, gray divorce. And um, we've got a terrific guest to help us understand some of the reasons why people choose to, lay, uh, to leave later in life. And then, you know, some of the implications and things that we need to think through or people need to think through as they're making this choice. Debbie Johnson is a lawyer and a partner at Calgary Family Law Associates. Debbie, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Let's talk a little bit about maybe why, you know, some of the common reasons why you see people choosing to leave, late, particularly later in life. Um, a lot of the reasons usually happen because the children are now out of the house and the, the spouses realize they have different uh, things that they want to do and pursue. And they find out their spouse only likes ABC and the other spouse likes CDE, and that's not uh, working out with each other. Or they might realize they want a different quality of life for the remaining life. It's, there's a lot of different reasons why they leave. Could be mental illness, could be emotional or physical abuse. There's there's a lot of different reasons for people to leave after many many years. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's not even a fair question because there's it's complex, you know, with yeah. respect to everybody's family dynamic, right? Yeah, you know, a lot of people think about when it comes to divorce that. Um, it's about the children. It's about support payments for the children. And they, they kind of focus on that because that's been really talked about a lot in the media and so forth. What people forget is that when, when grade divorce happens, that's divorce after the age of 55, yeah. um, there's other things that matter. So, Debbie, what, what else is at stake when it comes to uh, divorce after the kids have left the home or you're in that 55-plus that, uh, crowd? Well, usually the parties will have either a lot of property or or are in a lower income level, they don't have a lot of property. So we have the the issues with older, the over uh, the grayer, the gray age divorces is division of property, and that's pretty straightforward. And um, whether there's going to be any type of spousal support, those types of issues. You know, it's interesting that you say the division of the property is pretty straightforward. I mean, I've got friends. I wouldn't say um, gray divorce yet, but. You know, we're pushing towards that area, going through a divorce, and that seems to be a very painful piece of it with some very dire, at least as they're going through it, it feels like some very dire financial implications. Um, how do you help well, you, pay, Exactly. Like, yeah, walk me through that, right? Well, yeah, you're looking at a, 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 group of, uh, a group of people that have developed a long history with each other, <clears throat> and so they're looking at whether they have to, well, how they divide the property. They have to find a new place to live. They have to tell their family and their friends. They have, it's all a new thing, and, and it's a scary thing. A lot of times there's, a, there's an inequality or a disadvantage on one party more so than the other as far as financial of how they're getting there, uh, how they're going to support themselves. It's the division of assets that they've worked together for a long time to accumulate. And then a lot of occasions, it's one party wants to leave the marriage and the other party doesn't. And you have those issues, too, where you have the psychology behind of um, deep regret and deep hurt and pain. It's, it's, a hard, it's a hard thing to start doing. So generally, when what we want to do is, is you want to try to make it as easy for them as possible. You don't want to have uh, it go into a litigious thing. You don't want it to go into a court because that really does expend all the all the savings that they have for their their later life. You want them to 
be able to go to a mediation type of situation or an arbitration type of situation where they can get it done quickly and uh, easily. So I've got a couple of questions in regards to that, Debbie. One is, um, for the people who are listening who may not understand what the law in Alberta states about, let's talk about first property, what mm-hmm. is the law state and then what parts are not part of that, that uh, quote-unquote matrimonial property? Okay, so usually in those long-term divorces, they didn't usually leave, live together prior to their marriage. So marriage is, the presumption is always a division of 50-50. So whatever was accrued during the marriage is a 50-50 uh, ownership. But in some cases, say, for example, um, my parents, my my mother may not have been on title or on property on the, on the property. So notwithstanding that uh, the father or the husband might ha- might have his name on the title on the property, you still have a 50-50 ownership. So regardless of anything, you always have that 50-50 presumption. So then you separate and you have all those things that you have to divide. You have the household the household property, and, and the courts really hate dealing with that. So you've got two of everything. You've got pictures, which are you're really, really important to both parties. Sometimes the biggest problem between these dividing parties is the pets after a long marriage. The kids aren't there anymore, and the pets become the biggest issue. Um, you go through uh, you go through the um, with the separation. You go through the pension. Like, is there a large pension? Is it in payout already? And and if it's in payout, does that become just a straight spousal support? Is there an equalization payment from the property? Like, there's so many different steps with the property that you want to just take it pretty much one step at a time and just look at it and say. Uh, what do I need to divide with my with my partner, and make an assets list, make a liabilities list, all the debt that you might have, and then any exemptions that they might include, which might include an inheritance that one party may have received from their from their relatives that they've kept separate and apart from the family, like those would be exempt. But usually, um, the presumption is fifty fifty, and the greatest the second greatest asset is usually the pension. That's right. That's right. So, and I think inheritances are coming in more and more for for baby boomers yep. now. And yep. so, um, yeah. most that I've spe- I've spoken to or we've met with with clients, most of them I would say um, commingle their in money. They yep. put it together. Yes. They pay down debt. They put it in the sa- joint savings account because they believe that this is now an inheritance and it should be part of the family. What the concern that comes up is during a a divorce. They want to go back and, and 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 separate that as exempt property. What is your um, understanding, or what can you tell our listeners about how that works? The only time you can ever claim it as exempt is if you can follow with the money. It's always following the money. So if you had an inheritance of a hundred thousand dollars and you put it directly onto the house, and that house shows a decrease in its mortgage and the equity rises hundred thousand dollars, that could still be exempt. If you commingle it in things that are just everyday uses, you take the kids to to Disneyland, you pay off you the you know the wife's credit card or your credit cards that were all part of family things. That's part of living and part of being a family, and it's commingled and gone. It's only when you can trace money through the um, bank accounts or through um, the direct deposits from one place to another through property that you can still claim exemptions. Like there's other exemptions too. So say they did live together or say there was a house that was inherited um, Did the th- that uh, one of the parties inherited from their parents and so both the husband and wife go live in that house. Then there becomes other interests that happen with the house. So there's a lot of complexity uh, with uh, 
determining the exemptions in property type situations. But if it's a money situation and you put it directly towards something that lasts forever, like um, a house or not forever, but it can change modes, but still there's property in the end, Mm -hmm. then it still remains an exemption part of it. Hmm. But say, for example, you put your inheritance into a joint title property, you're paying off the joint title, then there's other law that goes with it that says that you've gifted a quarter of it to the other party. Or, well, half of it is your inheritance and half becomes property, which is your gifting in a quarter to the other party. So there's a lot of different little complexities and things that you want to do. And so if you do um, get uh, an inheritance, you want to be careful that you keep it separate and apart from uh, commingling with the family funds. A lot of times we hear about uh, cases where what they thought was an amicable divorce doesn't turn into an amicable divorce for whatever reason. If you cannot sit in front of a mediator or at a kitchen table and figure this out individually, what are other options that are available that individuals need to be aware of? And, and you know, cost is one thing that people talk about. Just as an idea, how, how expensive is it really? Divorces, lawyers are expensive. It's a sad reality. Um, if a person can do a mediation arbitration, I personally don't, wouldn't, suggest just straight mediation because you don't have that final decision if the other party doesn't agree and then you've wasted the money and time getting through five or six days of mediation without a final arbitrative decision. So if I was doing it, I'd do a mediation arbitration arbitration decision. There is other things such uh, the judges do have a judicial dispute resolution, which you get basically get the judge for the day in, um, in a private courtroom with you, not in a courtroom, but in a room with the uh, other party and their counsel. Some judges do do it without counsel, and so you just have to figure out which or how it can get done that way. Um, the The problem with with divorce is that if it deals with matrimonial property, it must. The statute says it must go through. It's determined by trial or agreement. So you have the opportunity to make an agreement and sign off of it and make an agreement that you want. Like you might get a a lump sum payment, like you might take the house and the other person, you know, keeps some of the uh, RSPs, making sure the tax differential is there. Um, You want to make sure you're you're dividing apples and oranges. The, um, and so then you can do a JDR. Uh, Like I was saying, the, the, the statute says it's by trial or agreement. And that's what you want to do. You want to come to it by agreement. Otherwise, it just continues going on and on until there is actually a trial that defines it. If there is no property, if people can agree to the property and you get uh, an agreement done, you have to have independent legal advice uh, to make sure that you know all your rights in the agreement. Then what's left is just with the divorce would just be a matter of the equalization of um, the spousal support if, there, if that's something that needs to equalize the positions between the parties. And, uh, and that would be pretty much it. So Debbie makes it sound uh, pretty uh, straightforward. It's very complex for a lot of people, a lot of emotions involved. So Dave, we do need to make sure everybody who's who's going through this situation get the legal advice, get the financial advice, uh, and so forth. Debbie, if people want to get in touch with you, how do they do that? Well, they can look us up on the webpage at Calgary Family Law Associates, or they can call me at 403-232-0838. Debbie, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. We've been joined by Debbie Johnson. She's a lawyer and a partner at Calgary Family Law Associates. We've got a seminar coming up, my friend, and uh, you know what? More and more, we're dealing with a post-divorce care issue, 
uh, in retirement. So, uh, you know, let's uh, remind everybody about um, about when that's happening and, and how that fits into the retirement puzzle. One of the biggest fears of people over the age of 50 is the unknown of the future is what does their retirement look like? No matter what their situation may be, we're going to show you a strategy that can bulletproof your retirement on Tuesday, February 27th, 7 p.m. at the Oak Ridge Co-op Wine and Spirits. You need to reserve your seat, so give us a call, 966-8400. That's 966-8400, or go to our website at morethanmoneyradio.com. Don't forget, you can access all of our past segments on morethanmoneyradio.com, or you can have them delivered directly to you by searching for More Than Money CHQR on iTunes or in your favorite podcast. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of More Than Money on 770 CHQR. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.